Hi there. In this episode, Michael Keeler of the Business for Unicorns podcast is interviewing me as I guide you through the process of better understanding what it is that makes us a good coach versus a great coach and the action steps that you can take right now inside of the work that you're doing with your clients or how you're showing up in your business to really ascend to that next level. If you want more from Michael and the Business for Unicorns podcast, make sure you navigate your way to the show notes. I'll be sure to link that up for you so you can toggle right on over to his show and dig in and start consuming all of his awesome content. But I hope you love this episode and we'll talk to you soon. Hi, I'm Laura, host of Expand, the podcast for coaches who crave more fulfillment in the work that they do, more meaningful results in the clients they serve, and more confidence to rebel against the traditional boxes our coaching industry has placed us in so we can expand into the bigness of what we're truly capable of. When you're ready, let's jump right in. Hello, what's up, fitness business nerds? Today, I'm super excited to be bringing you um, nutrition coach extraordinaire, <laughs> Laura Poberin. Uh, we're just meeting for the first time today, and I'm so excited because she has so much magic and special juju when it comes to nutrition coaching that I'm just learning about for the first time, and I can't wait to share it with all of you. So let's welcome to our virtual stage here, Laura. Hello. Hello. <laughs> so good to see you and meet you officially. Yeah, so good to see you and meet you. Coming to us all the way from Canada. How, how are things been in Canada these days? Things have been cold and isolated. I feel as though um, I'm craving some travel. I'm craving some beach time, and it feels like the sun's starting to peek through. So the light is at the end of the tunnel, Yay. it feels like. Yes. Yeah. Yay. Well, thank you so much for doing this. It's such a pleasure to meet you. And I'm so excited to just talk about your work and all the things we're going to get into today. But before we do that, I'd like to start talking just a little bit about COVID because it's this last year has been so many lessons learned. Uh, uh, and I just like to ask this overwhelming question. So forgive me for the, the broad scope of this question. But what have you been learning about yourself and about your work over this last year of a global pandemic? <laughs> yes. Oh, I love this question. And my answer on the surface is going to sound a little bit cliche, but let me dig into it just really briefly. I have really been leaning into uncertainty this year. And it's not, it's not how you think. Like we've been talking a lot about uncertainty because there's so much uncertainty around us. But where I've really been digging in this year is uncertainty within myself. Mm. Um, let me just back up really quickly to provide some context. So a year ago today, we were on our way to Bali. And previous to that, we had been living down in Mexico. But the reason why we adventured down to Mexico and we booked this one-way trip to Bali was really because two years prior, we closed our gym. And actually, Mark Fisher walked us through a lot of that process. He was such a, a gem in our lives at that, at that horrible, difficult time. <laughs> but um, we were craving something different. We were craving adventure. We were craving spontaneity. And we were craving escape, to be truthful with you. We were, we were wanting to escape the life we had built in Edmonton and start anew. And so we ventured down to Mexico and we spent a long time there rediscovering ourselves. And previous to that, I had been your typical personal trainer, nutrition coach. But in that transition, I grew into a business coach. And now what I'm doing now is helping coaches really deepen their relationship with their clients and, mm -hmm. and deepen the work that they're doing and the results that they're getting. So because I, I tell you all of this really to set the stage to show you that uncertainty has been a part of my life for a decade, over a decade. Mm -hmm. It's been constant pivots, left, right, and center. And But I've always fought it. I've always resisted it. I've always tried to death grip whatever I could to create any sense of control in my life because I was so terrified of you know, really just letting go and letting be what is. And so uh, this year, ever since we were forced home from Bali and we were forced to look at, okay, are you ready to go home and look at this? Are you ready to go home and face what you've been running from the, for the last <laughs> two years, right? And we did, we came home and we faced a lot of it. And, and because we did that, I've really started to turn inwards and look at what is it that I'm trying to control? What is it that I can't let go of? What is it that I'm death gripping so tightly that's actually preventing me from getting where I, I need to go and want to go to become this leader for my students, for my people. And, and so it really has been like this inner journey for me this year. And I mean, that work is <laughs> going to be ongoing for years to come, I'm sure, <laughs> but it's been, um, it's been a ride thus far yeah. for sure. Yeah. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, beautifully said, Laura. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think, you know, I think that's going to resonate with so many of our listeners and watchers, just that part to recognize that someone like yourself who, who, you know, who's clearly so good at what you do also has this struggles with this uncertainty. Uh, and mm-hmm. what's coming up as you were talking, you know, the, the person who popped into my mind as you were talking was Brene Brown. And, yes. and I'm curious, I'm curious what you think about the, what the label of perfectionism has, mm-hmm. you know, how that, how that label might relate to what you were describing. Yeah, I mean, I had identified as a perfectionist for the first 10 years of my career in this space. And I wore it like a badge of honor, you know, and yeah. just to, I am a huge Brene Brown buff. Like, <laughs> I love her to death. I've read everything she's written more than once. And so I really, it's a really interesting question because I think in order to shed the layers of perfection, in order to shed that identity, It really does require us to come home to who we truly are. It requires us to connect with who we truly are. Without all of the external meanings we've been taught to attach to ourselves as coach, as leader, Mm -hmm. as woman, as man, as whatever you are, right? As whatever you identify as. And I think it's really important to understand that in the process of shedding those layers, you're also able to shed perfection because you aren't trying to live up to this external standard that's been placed upon you and you get to just be you now. Right. So I think, I mean, it all ties together. Leaning into uncertainty (laughs) is the exact same process as leaning into who you truly are because who you truly are is changing moment to moment and you can't death grip that. And I think perfectionism is almost equal to the idea of death gripping who you are because you're so afraid of looking more deeply to who you really are and exploring the fact that you can't control that. You can just experience it. Right. So that's such a, it's a, simple question on the surface, but quite deep when you start to strip it down. Yeah. I feel like there's so many people I'm talking to instead of my business unicorns clients and leave my friends have, <clears throat> there are people who I have identified with, uh, as, with, as perfectionists. Yes. And the last year has been a real struggle for them because yeah. there's been so much out of our control, so much uncertainty, both on a personal level, both looking inward and outward. Yes. <laughs> there's, been, there's been uncertainty at all levels. Um, and that's hard because when there's uncertainty, there's risk of emotional exposure. Uh, and there's, there's a risk of, you know, psychological unsafety yes. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. uh, and all those things are, are really challenging to deal with. So I'm glad we started deep. I'm glad we started this conversation just right, <laughs> in the no deep end, <laughs> right in the deep end of the pool. But I'm so glad to, I'm so glad you shared that. It's, you know, we've all been on different, um, different journeys when it comes to this last year of COVID. But I think what you're sharing really will resonate with a lot of people. So thank mm-hmm. you for being yeah, so open course. to sharing it. Um, let's talk a little bit about your work. So clearly you're a nutrition coach extraordinaire. Oh, and, thank you. <laughs> and this is a topic that I haven't covered a ton on the podcast yet. Uh, I've had a few nutrition coaches in the past, but I'd like to do more because I think it's, it's such a growing segment of kind of the health and wellness space. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think Move Online, in my opinion, has kind of just fanned the flames of nutrition coaching. <laughs> it seems yes. like more and more accessible, uh, maybe even to the point where it will become overly saturated in the next few years if, if people don't think it is already. Um, and so, you know, what I'm really interested in exploring with you today is what makes really great nutrition coaching, how to mm. distinguish between the people who are doing just okay work and the people who are doing really extraordinary life-changing work. And I want to start with the idea of, of connecting with your clients. Mm. Um, I know you think about this a lot and I'm curious, how do you think about developing real, genuine, true connection with your nutrition coaching clients? I love this question. I think, so I want to tie in specifically the great coaches compared to the just another nutrition coaches, right? Mm -hmm. And so it really does come down to connection, but the way we're taught to connect with our clients, the just, you know, just okay coaches are fit into this box where they're suffocated in this box, but they don't see it. They're being an escape. And when I say box, what I really mean is they're viewing connection through the lens of what they can do in order to connect. So this is what I mean. Basically your application forms, your check-in processes, your weekly calls, all of the external stuff 
you're layering on top of the human connection to give them a sense of connection, right? But it's superficial. It's an illusion. The true way to connect with people and what the greats are doing is they understand how to make their people feel seen and heard and fully and truly understood for who they are and the way that they're experiencing the world. And through that process, they're able to reach much more deeply into the inner workings of their mind, the inner workings of their behaviors, and they're able to help them understand what it is that they're experiencing and why, why, what it is that's causing them to cope with food and why, right? That's not something that can be done through a check-in form or through a weekly coaching call where you're just sort of running through the list of bullet points in a really robotic mechanical way because that's what your certification taught you to do, right? So I think at its core, we have to redefine what connection really means for us as coaches, because if we're able to let all of the extra stuff sort of fall away momentarily, and we come back to humanizing that experience, we're able to hold mirrors up for our clients. We're able to hold really uncomfortable space for them to explore what it is that's really been keeping them stuck in their disempowering patterns up until this point. And if you can do that, And then layer on all of that extra strategy on top of that genuine connection, you're an amazing coach and you're going to create such fabulous results for every client you work with because ultimately they trust you now. They feel more deeply resonated with what it is you're offering them as solutions. And because of that, their adherence is immediately going to increase and the results you're able to generate will deepen. Yeah. Yeah. Really well said. I think just to underline what I think I'm hearing you say is, is that, you know, a lot of nutrition coaches that are just doing good work often offer this large breadth of touch points. All these Mm -hmm. ways were kind of quote connecting, right? A weekly check-in form and a conversation, an app, uh, you know, whatever the, whatever the thing is. Um, And those I'm sure can be useful in some ways, but what you're suggesting here is that, is that they actually are not always correlated with actual depth of connection, right? The depth of connection requires a different kind of conversation. Can you, can you say more about the, what do you use to dig deeper? You know, what are the kind of questions you're asking? What are the tools that you think change the conversation? Yes, absolutely. I think it very much starts before they ever become a client. We have to have this really deep, meaningful conversation at the consultation stage so that as the client comes into our world, as they embark on this journey with us, they know what to expect inside of these deep conversations we're about to be having with them. And when mm-hmm. I when I say um, adjusting your consultation, What I mean is we need to start asking them about their dieting past, but not just what diets have you tried, what, which ones worked, which ones didn't, but let's look at what actually triggered you to fall off plan. Let's look at what actually has triggered you in the past to cope. Let's look at the conditioning that you've adopted in your life to behave in the way that you're behaving and to feel the things that you habitually feel when you're being triggered. Let's talk about emotion. Let's talk about thought patterns, right? Let's talk about childhood. Who did you need to be in order to feel loved? Who did you need to be in order to feel like you belong? Because here's the thing. When people cope with food, when they reach for foods that they know that they shouldn't be reaching for, the reason why is so deeply rooted in them that they aren't even able to see it. So if we can begin the process of unearthing why they're actually behaving in the way that they are, Now we can help them to see that and we can move forward from such a firm place where our strategy will hold so much more weight because there's meaning attached to why they're doing the things you're asking them to do rather than just taking your word for it, right? So when we start the connection conversation, it really does have to begin there where we're able to now set the stage for future conversations just like that one. But where I see a lot of coaches going wrong inside of their, their day-to-day coaching sessions is they're, they, they're tiptoeing right up to the edge of where we need to jump off the ledge with our clients and they stop and they pull back. Why? Because it feels unsafe for us, because we're afraid to ask a question. We don't know what to do with the answer we get, because if we don't know how to fix them, we now don't feel valuable because we have conditioning too. as coaches. We've been taught that we provide the things to get them a result. We've been taught that we need to fix them in order to be valuable or worth the money that they're paying us. Right. So if there's any sort of threat that that's not going to happen. We're not going to go there. 
you may not even realize that this isn't happening. It it's, operates totally subconsciously. It's your subconscious brain keeping you safe by pulling you back. And it does that by giving you little signs. You might notice in conversation where you're starting to get really emotional with the client or you're starting to get really deep and you start to tense up, you start to get anxious, maybe your heart rate increases. That's your subconscious going, well, you don't know what to do with this information. Are you even qualified to ask these questions, right? Should you really be talking to them about their emotions? You're not a psychologist. And all these stories start spinning and it stops us dead in our tracks because what if we work out of scope? What if we ask a question that triggers them? What if we ask a question that we don't know what to do with, right? What if we don't know the answer? And so it goes both ways. It's not just helping the client to understand better what it is they need to be looking at, but it's also helping ourselves look internally and connect with ourselves and go, where am I stopping myself? That's actually becoming a detriment to the work that I'm doing with my clients. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. 100%. I love that you started this answer by talking about setting expectations. Yes. This, this level of depth with clients starts at the very beginning of setting expectations for, for what the relationship will look like. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's clear that in your work, you're not, you're, you're, you're working to not be afraid to go there to the real (laughs) emotional depths of childhood and, and, and digging into their why and their emotions. And I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second because uh, I do, in fact, agree that that's a really useful form of coaching. But I talk to a lot of folks, including people on my own team at Mark Fisher Fitness who've done nutrition coaching. And one of the things I hear, not just them, but lots of folks say is, um, I want to help be a nutrition coach to people, but I don't want to be a therapist. Mm-hmm. I'm actually not interested in all of the emotional labor and the the self-exposure that comes with doing the kind of work that it sounds like you're talking about. Yes. So I mean, what do you say to those folks? Can good nutrition coaching happen if you don't go to this level of emotional exposure and vulnerability? I think, okay, nutrition coaching can happen. Mm. I think if you want to be great at it, you have to get comfortable talking about emotion. It's not the fact that you're taking their emotion on as your own and it's weighing you down. We have to talk about boundaries. We have to talk about your own growth so that their emotional baggage doesn't burden you, right? But food is emotional, right? Eating is emotional. We don't, none of us look into our pantry and go, what is the most logical thing I should be eating right now if you're feeling triggered, right? If you're in a state where you've been stressed all day or your kids are driving you crazy or, you know, you just got in a fight with your boss or your best friend isn't talking to you or whatever. Or you're like whatever, bored. Or you're bored or, right? That's yes. mine. <laughs> I mean, me too. We all do that. We all do it because we're all emotional beings. Right. And so if you if you don't ever want to talk about emotion, you're never going to help the clients who truly need your help. Here's the thing. The most difficult clients out there are the ones who need you the most. The ones who can follow a plan and they can track their macros and they don't need to talk to you about their feelings and they don't emotionally use food. Right. And that's not a barrier to them changing. They can go to bodybuilding.com, download a program at the exact same results that you're going to give them. That's just the truth of it. They're motivated people. They don't have a lot of shit that they need to work through. And so you can get them good results, but it just depends on the level of fulfillment that you want to feel as a coach. If you want to truly change someone's life who has never been able to create that change for themselves, if you want to be that beacon, that light holder, that space holder, that guide for that type of person... You can't be afraid about talking about emotions. And if you don't want to talk about emotions, chances are you have work you need to do yourself. And that's a beautiful thing, right? Being a coach is such a gift because the work that we do allows us to see more deeply into ourselves. If talking about emotions with a client, if holding uncomfortable space for someone to move through something really difficult with a client triggers us, makes us feel heavy, guess what? They're a mirror for you, just like you're a mirror for them. You are just seeing in them what you haven't looked at yet inside of yourself. So let's look there first. And if you move through that stuff and now you're open to exploring what's really holding you back as a coach, what the real story is, why you don't want to be a therapist, because that's a lie. You're not a therapist. You're a space holder. You're a guide. You're a mirror. You're a safe space, right? That's all you are. You're not fixing 
their psychological problems, you're asking them questions about it. You're inviting in dialogue. You're inviting in the ability for them to look at themselves more deeply, right? And if you don't want to do that, then that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that, but you're not going to help those people. Does that make yeah. sense? I think that's a really great framing of it. Cause I think that, you know, you, you, one of the things you said was that, you know, if you're not, you can do okay coaching. You yeah. just can't do good coaching for the kind of people who have emotion attached to their eating that's holding them back, which right. is a lot of folks, right? It's a lot of folks yeah. for that's the case for. <clears throat> but to your point, there are other folks who don't need this kind of coaching. You might be better right. aligned with, you might be better, you know, better aligned with kind of athletes. Exactly. people who just need a special kind of nutrition coaching or accountability in their life or people who are already motivated, just need programs to, mm. to kind of give them some guidance. There's those other options, but this kind of work, if you want to do it, you have to kind of be ready uh, to dive in yourself. And I love that you use the phrase, you know, think of yourself as this kind of mirror to yeah. your clients. And when there's something that comes up in your coaching with clients um, that makes you uncomfortable, it's a great opportunity to learn for yourself. Mm. What about it is making you uncomfortable? So how do you define your scope because i think you know we we're throwing up this this idea that this this kind of nutrition coaching is is kind of similar to but not therapy right. <laughs> and i know you drew a bunch of lines in the sand about like well we're not <clears throat> we're not trying to fix we're not trying to adjust you know to to change anyone's you know emotional um uh kind of uh you know, what am I saying? Psychological state, you know, what we're doing is trying to get curious, trying to ask questions, invite a dialogue. So how do you find that line? Because I I know know. a lot of folks that I talk to just find it so tricky, you know, that they're just doing good work. They're not afraid to talk about feelings. It just goes too far for them. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, I guess the question is, you know, how do you define that line and has it gone too far for you at some points? And what do you do about it? Mm-hmm. I mean, it definitely has, as I've established my method, yeah. right? It's, I mean, you have to sort of swing to both ends of the spectrum before you sort of settle in your middle and sure. figure out what feels best for you. But the way that I'd like to define it is, you know, you are never trying to fix a problem that a client is presenting to you especially when it's emotional or psychological. You don't have the tools. You're not supposed to say, I know the answer to this. This is what you should do and you'll never experience that again, that sort of thing, right? So the way that I draw the line in the sand is always meeting a really hard breakthrough moment or a really hard epiphany moment or a a point of vulnerability or um, anything that your client is emotionally struggling with, with a question. So I teach my students to learn how to use exploratory questioning, which is a framework I sort of developed to help my students um, better understand how to tiptoe into these conversations and how to back up out of them if they start to feel a little bit overwhelmed. Right. And so basically what this looks like is let's just say Becky, um, she ate three bags of chips on Sunday night and she, you have a coaching call with her on Monday and she's really emotional. Right. And mm-hmm. she's like, I binged on Sunday. I don't know. What, I don't know what's wrong with me. Why do I keep doing this? This is so common. And so as a coach, we know, OK, Becky is not binging because the chips were in the house. The chips weren't triggering her. Something else triggered her. How can I figure out what it was that triggered Becky? That's my my first objective. So we're slowly starting to tiptoe in. And we just asked Becky, help me to better understand what was going on around you in the hours leading up to that moment. Who was around you? What did your environment feel like? What did you spend the previous two days doing? Right? So now we're starting to paint this picture around Becky to better understand what it was in her environment that caused her to reach for those chips as a release. Layered on top of that, we want to know, how does Becky typically cope with food? What does her identity tell us? Does Becky like to feel comforted by food? Does she feel like to feel spontaneity in her life with food, right? Does she like to feel like a rebel with food? Does she not really know how to identify her emotion around food? All of these things are keys, are clues to figure out, okay, if we know Becky likes to comfort herself with food and we know she lost control on Sunday, And we know that she was feeling disconnected from her husband over the weekend because he went golfing with his buddies and didn't spend time with her. Perhaps Becky was triggered to eat because she was feeling lonely. And now because we know this, we can say, Becky, how did you feel when your husband went golfing? How did you feel in your body? 
you know, what was the story you were telling yourself about that situation? And we can start to help Becky understand that, you know what, I was telling myself that, you know, he doesn't love me and I'm not worthy and blah, blah, blah. And I'm bored now. And I don't have anyone in my life to spend time with and all of these stories. And then we can say, Becky, do you think that perhaps those stories led to what happened on Sunday? Is there a possibility that there's a a connection there? You know, there is. We don't tell her that we help her see that right? We help her see that through questioning, through really gentle um, curiosity. Like I like to tell my clients, become the detective, get curious, not furious, right? A lot of coaches, when Becky says, Laura, I ate three bags of chips on Sunday. I don't know what's wrong with me. A lot of coaches will feel triggered and go, oh, she did it again. When is she going to learn? Why can't she just stop buying the chips, right? They get furious. They take it personally. Why is she not following my plan? What am I doing wrong? What more can I be doing when that's not it at all? We just need to get curious with her around what's actually going on instead of making assumptions that Becky lost willpower, Becky doesn't care about our plan, Becky's not listening to us, which is where most of our minds go because of our conditioning, right? Circling back to that. So essentially, when we draw the line in the sand around, I'm not fixing, I'm not providing a solution. I'm just helping Becky to see what's really going on so that she can come to her own breakthrough moment so that she can connect the dots for herself. So she can attach new meaning to the idea that when she feels lonely, we need to look for an alternative. We need to prepare her because this pattern is coming. It's going to happen. And when we can do that, we can intersect her old pattern, right? We can dissolve it over time simply by continuing to have these conversations around what's truly triggering her, what's really going on in her mind, how she's feeling in her body, and how to become aware when this pattern has been triggered so that she can get ahead of it. Does that make sense? Does that answer yeah. your question? Okay. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's really beautifully said. It's it's clear that you know, you've been doing this for a while and thinking mm-hmm. about it. And I, lo- I just want to underscore a few things you said, because I, I love the idea of, of nutrition coaching or really any coaches thinking about themselves as detectives. Yes. Right? I think that's a really powerful kind of uh, you know analogy for people. And detectives sometimes will have ideas about how they what they think is happening. And they'll learn uh, whether it's true or not by then going to get curious. Exactly. <laughs> and they need that curiosity, asking lots of questions. I'm hearing you ask a lot of open ended questions to kind of test your hypothesis, test whether or not what you think is happening could be happening and, and getting curious about their motivation. And I think that's a, such a powerful skill to have as a coach. And you're right that soft and people don't go in that direction because they're hung up in their own shit. Yes. <laughs> they're, they're hung up by their, their own, they're, you know, they're uh, taken by their own distractions uh, and their own biases and their own interpretations of what's going on. And it prevents them from truly being curious. Yeah. Yes, I often, I I often say, I often say in my, when I teach a course on coaching and coaching conversations, and I often say that curiosity is really the opposite of judgment, right? Yes. That, you know, when you're in that space of curiosity, it's not possible to be judging another person. Exactly. <laughs> or it makes it much harder, at least. Uh, and that's the last place you want to be as a coach is to feel like you're judging a person for their choices. I totally agree. Something I tell my students is um, we can't change something that we are in judgment of. Right. And when we make assumptions, when we, you know, jump to conclusions, when we don't ask a question, we are judging them. And if we're judging them, we can't help them change because if we're judging them, they're judging them. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's right. It's it's the difference between making assumptions on the, the worst possible scenario or making assumptions on like, you know, people's, people's negative intentions and making assumptions based on like the best possible interpretation of what could have happened and get curious about, you know, if I give this person all the benefit of the doubt, what could be the reason why this is going their way? I want to assume that they did the absolute best they could in the moment with what they had, Uh, you know, assuming that what can I get curious about next? Uh, Instead of assuming like this person just doesn't care. This person just doesn't give a shit. They're not even trying. (laughs) If I assume that they are trying, (laughs) then, then what becomes possible for me to get curious about? I totally, totally agree. I think, I think one of the things that stops a lot of coaches in this exact sort of scenario is, but what if I don't know what to do? Like, of course, right. What if I don't know how to help them? And that uncertainty, circling back to the start of our conversation, that uncertainty around not knowing for sure that I'm going to know how to help this person move through whatever they need to move through stalls us out. But also, we love to feel good at what we do. 
Like we love to be validated as humans. We all do. We love to be validated. We love to be seen. We love to feel like we're valuable, right? And the way that we've been taught to become valuable is to just give the plan and to adjust the plan and to hold them accountable and to give the tough love, right? We've been taught this by our certifications. And the thing about it is sure with some populations, maybe, but the thing about it is, is our industry is changing. You guys, our industry is shifting so fast. People have been forced to look deeply into themselves over this last year. They've been forced home. They've been forced to look at what's really causing issues in their life. They haven't been able to distract themselves with all of the extra extracurriculars and, and things like that. And because of that, they're looking for someone to help them navigate that stuff, right? They understand that they're eating to cope. They get it. They've done that. Their mindset work is being talked about all over the internet. They get it. They know that that's where they need help, but yet they can't do it themselves. So I think just a willingness to not know the answer, to yeah. feel uncomfortable yourself is so necessary. Yeah, 100%. for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll, and I'll, I'll bring it back to Brene again, since we're both yes. big fans. Yes. But she often talks about being will, being more interested in getting it right than being right. Yes. And I think this is a good example for coaches. So we, we stall because we're afraid we're going to be wrong in our approach, in what we do next. We're not going to know how to handle something. But it's more important to maybe stumble and and figure it out in the long run, uh, yeah. you know, uh, and get it right long term than be right in the short term. And that's a hard that's a hard thing to navigate for folks. It um, really is. Yeah. Let me let me let's switch gears because we could keep talking about in this okay, direction forever. But I, there's one more topic I want to get to, which sure. is this, which is um, retaining clients. Mm. Right. The, the the length of a of a relationship for a nutrition coach and a coachee it can vary. And there's no one, one, you know, one size fits all solution for how long the relationship should be or when, what what the, what the signals are that it should be over, (laughs) you know, it's tough, but at the very least from a pure business perspective, we want to keep people around for a little while. And I know that you talk a lot about different kinds of conversations you can be having with clients to help ensure that they stick around and don't get in their own way and Mm -hmm. and self-sabotage maybe a little less. And so, you know, how do you think about kind of keeping clients on this proverbial wagon for as long as they, they need to be? I love this question. Okay. So it circles back to a couple of things that we've briefly touched on already. Number one, um, you have to figure out what type of client you want to work with, right? Mm -hmm. So circling back to, do you want to work with the athlete or do you want to work with the person who has um, things going on beneath the surface that we need to unearth, that we need to look at, that we need to help them move through in order to see lifelong success, right? The end goal, no matter what type of client you're working with, is to get them to a place where they're not going to need another coach again in their life unless they choose to switch gears or change their goals or whatever. You know what I mean? So for the co- the coaches who are working with clients who really need to sink into these deep, uh, uh, meaningful conversations with their clients, it's really important we go back to the consultation once again, and we pre-frame them not just with the, the deep, meaningful questions that they were getting them used to answering. Tell me about your triggers. Tell me about your patterns. Tell me about your childhood. Let's talk about the deep emotional stuff right from our very first call before you're ever a client, because that, number one, pre-frames them to expect that this journey is going to be different. This coach is different than what I've tried before. This isn't going to be just following the plan. She's going to make me look at the things that are really uncomfortable for me. I'm excited and also nervous nervous about this. That's the state we want to get them in on the consultation. But number two on the consultation, we also want to prep them for the hard shit that's going to happen, right? It's not going to be this dreamboat journey. They're going to fall off track. They're going to have hard days. We need them to expect that because I think a lot of the time when clients start with us, their expectation is I've hired this coach. This is going to be easier for me now. But really, if you're the coach who opens up these gaping holes in their life to look at the dark corners they've been avoiding, if you're the coach that asks them the deep, meaningful questions about their emotions, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be turbulent. You're a guide for them, right? Instead of just handing them the map and telling them to climb the mountain, you're the guide that, that walks them all the way to the peak, right? That doesn't mean the trail is any less turbulent. It just means that they're supported all the way up. So asking them on the consult or telling them on the consultation, Becky, listen, I'm so excited to be working with you, but I just need you to know you're going to have hard days. 
this is not always going to be easy for you. You're going to feel emotional. You're going to feel triggered. You're going to eat foods that you don't want to eat or you don't think you should eat. You're going to feel like you're letting me down. I want you to know that when this happens, you need to come to me because these are amazing moments for us to really unearth what's actually going on. It's these moments that cause you to fall off the wagon every single time previous to our relationship. But it's these moments now because we're working together that we're going to be able to move through as a team and get you to that peak. So now just by pre-framing it, she's like, oh my God, okay. I feel like this burden is off my shoulders. I can mess it up. I can have a hard day. I just have to talk to Laura about it. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Okay. The reason why I bring this up is because the most common thing that causes a client to stop working, working with you before they reach their goals is a, they feel like they're letting you down. For real, this is one of the biggest ones. It's not because they're letting themselves down. They feel bad for taking your time and not taking it seriously because yeah. they're they're struggling, yeah. right? So we need to normalize that. And two, messing up, not feeling like they're making progress, not knowing how to understand what progress really looks like for them, not being able to talk about it. Yeah. That causes clients to fall off plan more than anything, simply because they don't know how to process what's really going on. Even though messing up sometimes is progress in and of itself when given the right context, right? When it, when it's all peeled down and you're able to look at what really happened. Yeah, it's so, a, you're 100% right. I mean, all coaches I talk to, not just nutrition coaches, say that most when clients stop working with them, it's often because there was some sort of guilt or shame spiral yes. from them not getting it right, not doing it right, disappointing us, yes. <laughs> feeling like we were a waste of their time, feeling like they, they, they can't be helped. Exactly. <laughs> um, and yes. to your point, we've seen this pattern. If you've coached anyone for any length of time, you've seen this pattern. Uh, and we can pre-frame or set expectations in advance that this is probably going to happen to you at some point where it's really likely that you will stumble. You will miss calls with me. You will show up to our calls and have not done any of the things we talked about. In fact, you will have done the opposite. <laughs> you know, that progress is not a linear line up and to the right, but it's going to be a meandering path. And that's normal. So it's kind of normalizing all of those ups and downs, I think, is, I think is so smart. Yeah, it's, I love that you said normalizing. That's the exact word I like to use as well. It's like normalizing the fact that this is, even though you've invested in me as your guide, it's still going to be rocky. And that's actually beautiful. You know, yeah. you wouldn't want to just, if you could, if you could hop from the bottom of your mountain all the way to the peak, I would never wish that for you. Never in a million years, because you're going to miss so many beautiful growth moments. You're going to miss so much expansion. You're going to miss so many lessons about yourself. You're going to miss the entire transformation from who you are into who you're going to be. Yeah. Well, even to take, yeah, even take that analogy and, and one more step is that we often talk about journeys like nutrition and fitness as they are a mountain with no top. There is no done. Right. There is no destination. Right. And so even that even, you know, enforces your analogy even more is like, well, there's actually not a place we're getting to. There's no peak here. Right. Uh, the, you know, if anything, there's maybe a period of homeostasis, right? Right. Stability, of maintenance, but it's just a plateau. Let's be real friends. It's just a plateau. It's not the peak of anything. Yeah. And I think even having people understand that um, can be really valuable because if not, that's daunting. And if they have to learn that later, they're like, exactly. oh, wait, I thought I was going to be done after three months of working with you. It's like, well, exactly. what, what were you going to be done? You're not going to be done eating. You're not going to be, <laughs> right. you, know, you know, like, what? yeah, Doing I work most with business coaches. Like your, your business is going to like be done running. Of course, there's going to be new challenges and new obstacles. And, you know, and so so I'm glad that you I'm glad that this this ongoing setting of expectations, I think, is absolutely right in terms of a, a retention strategy. Yes. You know, is you'll keep people if they continue to be on the same page about what they can expect from their relationship with you, from the results, et cetera. Um, that's really, I think it's so smart. So let me ask one final question before we get to our final five is for nutrition coaches out there who maybe have been the kind of folks who are mainly doing check-ins, kind of keeping it surface level, making, you know, counting macros and all that is super useful. I'm not, I'm not, you know, shit talking any of these strategies. Yes. You might need some check-ins, need some coaching. You might want to be counting macros. I like my fitness pal. I get it. Um, but if they're wanting to dip their toe into uh, conversations like this yeah. about, you know, about triggers, about, uh, you know, emotional eating, any of those things, where do they start? Where, do, how, what's, what does dipping your toe in look like for a coach like that? Okay. Yeah. I love this question. So where it starts for everyone is when a client 
um, doesn't behave in the way you expect they should or the way that you were hoping that they would, we need to assume that there is something emotionally tying them to the decision they actually made. The thing we need to know about the way humans operate is they're always, always moving from pain to pleasure, right? So knowing that, if someone is always moving from pain to pleasure, then if eating is the pleasure for them, there was something in their life that was causing them pain that they are moving away from. What is that pain? How can we figure out what that pain is? And the way that I like to tiptoe into that is, how are you feeling right before you made that decision? How are, you, how are you feeling in your body? Were you feeling tense? Were you feeling sad? Were you feeling happy and excited, overwhelmed, right? Stress, what were you feeling? And then taking it one step deeper, what were the thoughts that caused you to feel that way? Right? What are the things that you're thinking about yourself, about people around you, about the world that means that you're thinking that things aren't the way that they should be? That's caused you to react emotionally. Yeah. Right? And that's a great, yeah, that's a great place to start. Absolutely. And then you just have to understand the, the furthest depth of that is understanding where they're attaching meaning to what it is that's going on in their life that doesn't serve them. So for example, if we use a, a really tangible example, Becky with the chips, let's just use that one again. Yep. Right. Becky with the chips. So Becky's eaten chips. We already decided that Becky's husband went golfing with the boys didn't pay attention to her. She was feeling lonely. She ate chips. Right. So what does Becky believe about the way her husband needs to behave in order to feel good in her life? Right. Becky believes that her husband should always put her first. Becky believes that her husband should be indisposable to her, that he shouldn't be going out with his friends if she has nothing to do. Right. There's all of these beliefs that sound selfish when you say them out loud. They sound unjustified, but they're the story that's going on in Becky's head. So can we get her to understand this? Becky, what do you believe to be true about the world? What do you what do you expect of your husband? Is that true for you? How do you treat yourself now because you have that belief? How do you treat your husband because you have that belief? What if that belief didn't even exist? Hmm. Hypothetically, let's just say that your husband went out golfing with his buddies and you're like, great, honey, go have a great time. And you went to the spa and you did your thing and he came home and you guys got to connect instead of feeling resentful and angry. Yep. Right. What if that happened? And now painting the hypothetical scenarios and just playing with it. I think coaches get so stuck on needing to say the exact right thing instead of just sinking into this really delicious conversation with your client and going, let's talk about this. This isn't this isn't true for you. You know, what just happened is just an expression. It's just a symptom of a belief you have around how someone else in your life should have acted and they didn't act that way. You're the creator of your own suffering. It's not your husband. It's your beliefs around what needed to happen. And that's caused you to cope. You're doing this to yourself. Right. And just helping her to see that. So to, to summarize it, assume that when someone's eating something that they know they shouldn't be, they're falling into disempowering patterns, assume there's some sort of emotion attached to that. Figure out what that emotion is. Tiptoe back a bit further back. Figure out what the thoughts were and what the beliefs were. And then start to paint that mind movie. Start to explore the environment. Who were they around? What were they doing? What was their expectations? What are their beliefs? And how does that tie into the pattern that you're seeing? And, and never saying, this is what I'm seeing, but rather asking them, help me to better understand. Is it possible that... Right? Yeah, that's great. It goes right back to the to kind of detective analogy. It's just, you know, right. you want to scan the scene, you yeah. know, you want to scan the scene. What was happening before? Who did you talk to? Who do you know? How are you feeling? And one of the things I talk about in my coaching course a lot is, and all the research shows this, that humans like to think that we make decisions like what to eat mm. out of rational thought and logic. But all the research Always, always shows that no, humans make decisions based on emotion yes. first and often subconscious emotion. Uh, and we're on autopilot for most of the day making sub, subconscious decisions uh, uh, that are really driven by our feelings. And then later <laughs> we justify them with rationale and logic and tell stories about them that make them neat, tidy decisions that make us seem like logical beings. But that's not that's not how we operate, really. And so this just fits in so neatly with what you're saying here, which is which is when you see people acting in ways that doesn't serve them, whether it's food or anything, really. Right. Your job is to get curious around. Okay, well, what led to that emotional? decision because it in fact was one <laughs> even right. if they don't know it there was right. an emotion driving that choice uh, and if you can get more curious about them and let them get more curious about it that yeah. is 
absolutely a, a path to growth. So yeah, yes. beautifully said, Laura. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yes. Yeah. So let's 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 wrap this up. I want to be okay. conscious of your time and make sure um, we get to our final five questions. So let's do this. Our final five questions are. Five questions about you. They're kind of okay, meant great. to be kind of like rapid fire, but you can also take your damn time if you want to, <laughs> okay. you know, it's totally up to you. Um, so let's dive in. Question number one, what is one thing you love about being in the fitness nutrition space? One thing you love. Oh, I love that moment right between me asking a really powerful question and there's like that pause and I can tell that they're changing and I can tell that they're processing this in a new way and they're coming to a realization about themselves and then everything from that point forward shifts, mm-hmm. you know? And so like, that's such the, that's the juiciest moment for me. I love feeling that with my nutrition clients and also with my nutrition coaching students, the same thing happens. It's like that little light bulb goes off and I can feel it happening. It's yeah. so visceral. Yeah. yeah. You can like, hear the two little synapses just making a brand yes. new connection. You know, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Question number two, this is about the about your clients. And often we, on this podcast, we're talking about kind of over-delivering for clients, creating an amazing client experience. So looking back at all the work you've done with clients, what's the coolest or most memorable thing you've done to serve a client? Oh, okay. So I had, this is my very first ever nutrition client, actually 12, yeah. 13 years ago. Um, I, Brenda was a personal training client at the time. She came into the gym one day and I could tell that she was feeling down. She was feeling very emotional, more so than normal. She was usually very bubbly and she was very solemn that day. Mm. And so I asked her to go for a walk instead of putting her through her paces on the gym for like I had planned. And on that walk, I started asking her really intuitively, just you know, what is it that you're getting out of this? Why are you here with me? What is it that I can do better for you? Tell me about your life. Tell me about your childhood. Just like these questions started pouring out of me. And she started to tell me about her history of sexual abuse and food addiction and all of these really heavy things. And that was the moment that changed everything for our dynamic. I got her enrolled in like Food Addicts Anonymous. That was huge for her progress. Um, And that changed everything for me as a coach. It changed the entire trajectory of my career. I knew in that moment that I could not just be a coach who gave a plan and put them through a workout and expected them to change that. It really went deeper than that. So on two fronts for her and for me, that was the most pivotal moment in my entire career. Yeah. Beautiful. I love that story. Awesome. Question number three. Um, This is about a team. I'm not sure if you work with a team at the moment, but I'm sure you have many times before. So when you're working on a team with other people, what's something your teammates or your employees do that just makes you so happy? You know, Mm -hmm. so basically this question is like, you know, what's the kind of environment you want to work in when people are doing what all the time? I think people are being vulnerable with me all Mm -hmm. the time. And in a team that is so hard to cultivate initially when you're a brand new leader for a group of people or you're a part of a team because you don't want to step on toes. You don't want to offend. You don't want to um, be wrong. Right. You don't want to make someone feel hurt or uncomfortable or undervalued. But ruthless vulnerability, ruthless accountability to our feelings, to what's going on in our life is the only way forward. Because truthfully, without that, we're just operating based on what we think other people need from us rather than who we truly are. So when a team member is able to come to me and go, Laura, this is not working for me. And this is what I need from you. I love that because now I see more deeply into them. We're able to connect on a deeper level. I'm able to help them get where they want to be in their life, which is so rewarding for me. And I feel like that safe space that I want to be for them. So that's definitely what it is. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Yeah. Well said. You just really can't have a well-functioning or high-functioning team without vulnerability and candor. And so I love that answer. Cool. Question number four. Um, This is about generating leads and market, a little bit of a marketing question. So when you have to um, go generate some new leads, what is your most reliable strategy? So if you have to go get get five new clients tomorrow, where do you turn most reliably, reliably to get new clients? I love this. Okay. So I am always, always connecting with people in a really genuine way online, like never really asking for anything, just trying to offer them, here's this free resource and here's that article and here's a training I did and, and just providing a ton of assistance, moving them forward from wherever they're at. Right. And so if I had to generate five new clients, I would go to those conversations and I would just see where they're at and how I can help. And if they're willing to hop on a call with me, I've done the legwork up to that point to create the trust that I need in them and from them. And from that point forward, the conversation about moving 
together in a direction towards their goals is natural and easy. Great. Amazing. Yeah. So always be cultivating relationships for the next series of clients. I love that. Yeah. Last question is, what do you think is one thing? Usually I ask this as gym owners, but we'll ask this as nutrition coaches for you. What do you think is one thing nutrition coaches can start doing better tomorrow? What do you think is one thing they can just start doing this better tomorrow? I think, I mean, going along the same lines as our entire conversation, notice where you're reacting Mm. in your life and with your clients right? Get into a pattern of noticing this client said something to me and I tensed up. This client said something to me and I felt defensive. This client said something to me and I got frustrated. Those are all egoic reactions. That's your brain keeping you safe by protecting you and telling you they're wrong, you're right. Notice these reactions, feel them in your body and get used to stepping in front of them. And instead of reacting by teaching or fixing, ask a question instead. Better understand where they're coming from. And you'll notice your entire conversation dynamic change. You'll notice your relationships deepen simply because you're willing to put your own ego aside, give your ego a snack and a nap and put it in the back seat, as I like to say, and actually sit in your driver's seat and, and get curious around where you're going with them on this map. Yeah. Fantastic. I think, you know, you really can't be a great coach unless you start by getting curious about your own reactions to things, your own, your own lens and biases on the world. So I think that's such a great tip. Amazing. Well, you did it. That was our final five questions. So bravo. Bravo. (laughs) Yeah. Um, This has been such a delightful question, Laura, both deep and meaningful and strategic. And I hope anyone listening or watching that is a nutrition coach or has thought about nutrition nutrition coaching, I have no doubt they're going to get a ton of value from this. And I, I hope that they take what they what they heard from here and they go start trying to apply it. So how can people find more of you? How can people find you on the interwebs and learn more? I know you have a you have a program that you run that's for nutrition coaches um, called Trigger Mapping. So just talk a little bit about that and where people can find out more about it. Yeah, absolutely. So I do, I have a certification called trigger mapping. It is for nutrition coaches, wellness coaches, health coaches, life coaches, mindset coaches, anyone in that realm. This is perfect for even I've had many personal trainers go through this program with great success as well. And essentially what this does is it teaches you how to have these deep conversations with your clients, but more than that, how to peel the layers back on the core identity of your clients so that you can adjust your approach ever so slightly to reach them where they're truly at instead of, instead of entering those conversations through your lens and creating resistance and creating pushback accidentally in these conversations with them. So it is about deepening the connection, deepening the relationship, deepening the work that you're doing and creating a map forward for yourself to navigate all of those twists and turns that come once you start to wade into the depths of emotion and, and psychology and neuroscience with your clients. It's, it's delicious. So that's sort of the 30,000 foot view of what it's about. If you want to look at more specific details, you can find it on my website, just laurapoperin.com. I have it posted up there for you. There's also a ton of free stuff on my website. So whether you're looking at deepening your knowledge on uh, client behavior change, um, client communication and connection, psychology, like whatever it is that you need to support you in the work that you're doing, even like building a more aligned business. I talk about that a lot. All of those resources are up there. I have podcasts and blogs and mini trainings and workshops and everything you can access all directly from my website. And if you're looking for a more casual place to connect with me, find me on Instagram, just at Laura Pobrin. I'm on there all week. <laughs> Fantastic. I love it. Well, we'll put all those in the show notes and the links down below wherever people are watching this or listening. Um, but thank you so much for your time, Laura. This has been such a blast and I really appreciate you. Please keep doing this amazing work. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you as well. Take care. Thank you so much for listening in. If you enjoyed what you heard and you want more, I'd love if you'd subscribe to my show wherever you get your podcasts. Good karma points for also leaving a review while you're at it. And lastly, if you're looking to dive even deeper, you'll find a ton of free workshops, mini trainings, and the details on my mentorship program, Trigger Mapping, over at laurapoberin.com. See you next time.